0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the Professional Insight Podcast Season 4. Thank you very much to our uh, sponsors, Brand Boulevard, Um, Sink and Litch. We need more swag. Um, We ran out. If you guys are listening, please. (laughs) Uh, My name is Brandon Curry.
1: I'm Jeff Collins.
0: Josh Bond. And Trevor Lindy. And we have our guest back, Sarah Ives, uh, star of the Pandemic Netflix series. Not the pandemic that was on YouTube and that got taken down. You are the official documentary on uh the. Pan- uh, it's called Pandemic, if I remember correctly, right? On Netflix.
2: That's right. Is Pandemic How to Prevent an Outbreak? And I actually just found out a couple of weeks ago that it was nominated for an Emmy. I think in like a science and technology documentary field.
0: And you guys didn't something.
2: win. Um. So the Emmys were a couple of days ago, but I think this category is actually this upcoming Sunday.
0: Oh. Well, yeah. congratulations on the nomination. Congrats. it's awesome. I loved it. I watched everything. I, lo- I watched the whole thing.
2: Oh, thank you. I guess, I mean, the, it really goes, it's for the producers. And yeah. I guess I was a lead. Um, I was featured in it, but um, <laughs> it was really all them. I just kind of did what they told me to do and talked about science. <laughs>
0: So I uh I, I had a couple so there's a there's a couple things I wanna address. Um so the the, the first is the frustration that I mean I know that I feel uh and we all feel on this call. Um I mean now let let's go through what the anti-vaxxers were trying to use in the beginning. Um I mean they're they're the biggest gaslighters. I have never met a biggest gaslighter than an anti-vaxxer. So basically, it was, um, we're all getting microchipped. Uh, Bill Gates is behind it. It's, they're gonna be, we're all sheep. Um, even though most tyrannical governments usually kill the wolves, they don't kill the sheep. So why would a sheep even be worried? But anyways, let's not even go down that logical path. Um, so we we're all sheep. It's not going to work. It's just, a, you know, it's just a cold, yada, yada, yada. So then now fast forward, you said in the last episode, there's just empirical data that, and billions of people around the world have had at least one dose. Um, and very, very little side effects within the statistical error, I'm, I'm assuming. And now they're saying... The fully vaccinated are the problem. We're the super spreaders because we're just walking around, you know, living our life carefree as you do when you are fully vaccinated. And now we're the issue. I just, I have never seen that just uh, happened about a couple weeks ago on a radio show that I was um, calling in where the, um, where the host is pro vaccine, like he is fully vaccinated. Um, but it was just unbloody real. Like, so it just must, how does that make you feel as someone who, yeah, no, you don't work for one of the big pharma companies, but this is your life. This is what you do for a living. Want to comment on that briefly? And then I just want to touch on the Delta variant and that kind of stuff.
2: It's kind of, well, it's just that these people aren't looking at any of the actual data. They're just following memes on Instagram and Twitter and whatever uh like right-wing news they want to like look at like clickbait basically and and radio shows and i I think i'm I'm pretty insulated from that stuff just because of where i live in san francisco that I, i live in a bubble but then i like once in a while i get a reality check that like most of america like does not live here and maybe like gets their news from questionable sources and also there's like a lot of social pressure I think because if you're surrounded (laughs) by people that think a certain way then you're also going to think that way so Mm -hmm. I realize that I am biased towards one way and they might be biased towards the other way but at the end of the day all we really have to look at are the numbers like the concrete data and then we have to draw the best conclusions we can from that data and it does appear that the, vac- or the virus is spreading because of unvaccinated people. Well, yes, there is some asymptomatic spread in people that are vaccinated. They're not the ones driving it. Cause when you look at like who got sick and then who else got infected, usually the person like the node of whatever cluster is an unvaccinated person and they're usually spreading it to other unvaccinated people. Yeah, maybe one or two vaccinated people get caught up in that like uh, like cluster. Uh, But they aren't the drivers of the spread. And you can kind of map that out, like, with little, like, almost like a little, like, a neural network of, like, how is it spreading? And it from at least from what I've read and what I've seen, it seems that vaccinated people are getting stuck in it in the web a little bit. But the ultimate driver is unvaccinated people who go to places with a lot of crowds.
0: Right. So here's my question. Can you just. I guess, in, in, in a nutshell, um, breakthrough infections um, that are happening with fully vaccinated people. Is it fair for me to say that these people, so when, when, when the media reports, oh, Ontario had, for example, uh, uh, Trevor, what was the number for uh, Wednesday? Uh, so for people that are listening, uh, we're recording on- September twenty third. Yesterday was September twenty second. They released um, new COVID cases, so that was six hundred. and This
3: morning was six
0: seventy seven for yesterday, and our and our rolling seven day average dropped because of that, which is great. Correct.
3: That was what you said. I don't. Yeah, yeah.
0: I didn't. So I, part I of it. think
4: our roll our rolling seven day average dropped as a result of today's numbers. Yes, because I, I believe they were sub six hundred for a couple of days within the last six.
0: Okay, so. They only report like, hey, you know, out of the six seventy six, you know, ten percent, fifteen percent of those were fully vaccinated people. But they don't mention that there's only literally a handful of people that are in the ICU that are fully vaccinated. Would those people have would be immune? Would those people be immunocompromised to be in the ICU? Am I correct to to, to assume that?
2: Uh, they might be, or they they either couldn't or wouldn't get the vaccine for whatever reason, or the vaccine didn't work in them. Like, there's plenty of people who have, uh, say, recovered from, like, you know, B-cell lymphoma, and they have been on or are on immunosuppressing drugs, for example. Yes. Um, one could assume that when you give a vaccine to someone who's on an immunosuppressing drug, that the vaccine would not produce as robust of a response. Um, So, yeah, it's possible that you could get a vaccine and it didn't work because of uh, like a rare medical problem like that. Um, But yeah, it does seem like people who are fully vaccinated are such a low proportion of those in the hospital and in the ICU that (laughs) it's <laughs> just so overwhelmingly Negligible points boy. to, like, vaccines are effective at preventing hospitalizations.
4: Well, worked for measles, mumps, rubella.
0: Polio. Right? Um Yeah, I just, I'm just, yeah. And it was, it's kind of interesting when they, when, so like we said off air, uh, Ontario on September 22nd, 2021, implemented a vaccine passport system you know, proof of vaccination system. And literally the next day, let's say, in, in, let's just use the region of Niagara, which is a health unit where we're, where we're at, which they report the vaccines. And I think on the day that it was announced, which was a Wednesday, there was uh, 600 inoculations. And then the very next day, 2000 people went and got inoculated. It, it over tripled. Um, for first inoculations, which was hilarious. So it, it does work. Yep. Um, and, and unfortunately it's a necessity. Um, the, um, and if you can't answer this, that's that's cool. Um, but there's more and more, and I'm, I'm kind of like I'm torn because you, you talked about in the last episode, how from 1918 to
4: 2008,
0: the H1N1 uh, virus, which is basically the derivative of the Spanish flu, um, hardly changed in the, in those you know 90 years but then in a well, year it like by
2: hardly i mean like compared to 2009 it was constantly changing and there actually were some epidemics that arose throughout that century where um there were drastic enough changes, but the shift from 2008 to 2009 was just so dramatic that it basically overwhelmed everything else. And now everything is a derivative of the 2009 strain.
4: Like the complete structure of the protein, right? And the virus?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Had, had yeah. Re- restructured itself essentially. So that yeah. it essentially didn't mimic anything from 2008 prior.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: So there, there's a lot of, you know, medical professionals and, you know, some comedians too, and, you know, John Stewart being one that has famously, you know, gave fuel to the fire to the lab theory, the Wuhan lab theory. Um, and the reason being, and if I can, I'm not saying this as a conspiracy theorist, I'm coming at it from a scientific perspective that um, if I'm understanding it correctly, the, 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 ironically, the saving grace of this, of the fact these vaccines work is because around 60 to 70 percent of, of the virus itself is staying intact. It's mutating but it's mutating very quickly. But the reason why these vaccines are working is because 60 to 70 percent of the guts of it is, is staying intact. And that's what's really dumbfounding scientists, virologists, epidemiologists, because they've never seen this before. That that much of, a, of of the virus is is staying intact. Can you maybe speak to that if you can? Or
2: yeah, so um, it's a little bit hard to think of it in terms of like sheer like percentage of what's the same or different. But if you think of the virus is. Basically, a sphere that's decorated with proteins um, that have shapes. And those shapes allow it to dock with human cells.
4: Okay. So the
2: shape of the outside of the virus has to be like the opposite shape as the receptor on the human cell so that it fits like a jigsaw puzzle.
4: Oh, okay. Like a neurotransmitter.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So If the virus can change lots of parts of itself, and as long as it retains that docking site, like that jigsaw interface is the same, it will be able to infect because it can dock. Um, There's other like mutations or um, basically variations that can occur that allow it to maybe not inject its genetic material into the cell as efficiently, which means it's not like as infectious. Uh, or it could be more infectious. There's lots of like little tweaks it can make, but ultimately if that jigsaw puzzle interface gets disrupted, it will never dock onto the cell. So the weird thing that happened um, in the like um, birth of the SARS-CoV-2 virus is that previously the coronaviruses that were around didn't latch on to human ACE2 receptor and endothelial tissue as well. So for whatever reason, um, mutations occurred that allowed that jigsaw interface between SARS-CoV-2 and human ACE2 receptor in the lungs to be very, very tight and like very, very locked in. So a lot has changed in the virus in the past year and a half, but that interface has remained strong. Um, And certain mutants have, like, a little bit of a tweak here or there that change its shape. Um, And that's why the vaccines are less effective on mutating strains because, like, say a new strain, there's, like, a knob that, like, sticks out. So the vaccine can prevent it pretty well from docking, but not necessarily as well as, like, the original one because the vaccine was developed against a certain shape versus like a slightly like twisted shape. Um, But if the virus gets too mutated, like it doesn't fit at all, yeah, the vaccine won't work, but the virus also can infect your cells. So like, there's always this like push and pull of like, how can the virus mutate just enough to get around the vaccine antibodies, but not enough so that it can't latch onto your cells anymore? So it's this balance of um, the virus is constantly evolving because it is just trying to survive. And it's randomly, it doesn't have a brain, it's randomly accum- accumulating series of mutations that make it either more fit or less fit. And if mutations arise that make it more fit, meaning it can spread easily and generate more of that version, um, then it can keep uh, propagating. So. The issue with the vaccine is that the interface, so it's the receptor binding domain of the spike protein, which is decorating the surface of the coronavirus. The receptor binding domain is highly conserved in all the mutants, but there's little sections, patches of that receptor binding domain that change shape, that change the way that it um, latches on with the human lung tissue, the ACE2 receptor. So if the vaccine antibodies can still get in there and block it, then we're good. But with more mutations in the coronavirus, the more likely it is that the vaccine antibodies can't get in there and stop it. Um, So that's why we're going to have to have boosters for probably Delta and Mu variants because when there's uncontrolled spread, there's going to be uncontrolled generation of new variants. So Once, If everyone in the world could be vaccinated, we wouldn't get any new variants, and this wouldn't be an issue anymore. But it's those regions of the world where there's just uncontrolled spread that allows for innumerable number of possible random fluke mutations to occur, and all you need is just one mutation that makes the virus more fit and makes it more contagious and more infectious than the previous version, and then it's going to overtake all the other variants, which is what happened with Delta.
1: So you agree with Pfizer saying we have to get a booster soon then? That's what they're pushing right now.
2: They're talking about a booster of the same vaccine that we already got. Um, So for that, so I personally haven't looked at like the antibody titer data. Because I think the idea is that after a certain number of months, the antibodies that you generated from the vaccine will basically wane. Like they'll go down. So their levels in your blood will decrease to the amount that if you did get exposed to the virus, you might not actually have strong antibodies anymore that would protect you. Um, it's the same reason why we get like the tetanus shot every five years. years. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and like, um, uh, like you know, the HPV vaccine, you're supposed to get a shot and I think two boosts. And, it's for the same reason that just getting one shot, you make antibodies and then they go down. But once you get a shot and like a periodic boost, it basically um, elicits those antibodies to come out of your uh, secondary lymphoid tissue, like your spleen and your bone marrow to basically start recirculating. Be like, okay, we're here, we're ready to fight an infection if it did occur. Um, so the, that like second boost that everyone's talking about is basically just to elicit more antibodies of the same which is helpful because we already know that the vaccine works. We know it works against Delta to an extent and other variants. So we're just gonna elicit more of what we already have. Um, But I guess what I'm talking about is like in the longer term future, there's gonna be more booths that have revised compositions that aren't the one we received before, but are geared specifically towards Delta and Mu. So, um, And can't... we're probably going to have to keep getting those until there is not uncontrolled spread of the virus anymore so that there aren't more variants.
1: Well, how long between the first boost and the second boost do you think we'd be getting them, like eight months, two months, a year?
2: I think it just depends on when people's antibody titers start to decline. Because if it looks like their titers after a year are just as good as they were after one month from the vaccine, then you probably don't need it after a year. But if you dropped say like 80% of your antibody titer after six months, then yeah, you probably need another boost to bring it back up or otherwise the vaccine won't be protective. But it's like this really difficult game because we don't wanna be running these experiments forever and finding out in five years that actually nobody has an antibody response anymore. People are trying to err on the side of caution of what is the least number of shots we can give people where they get the most protection. Because you don't want to go out vaccinating everybody in the world every six months because it's expensive, it's a logistical nightmare. There's side effects, uh, even though they're low. It's just nobody wants that. But we do want to maintain some basal level of protection so that we're um, actually uh, like protected from coronavirus. So I think that's like what's the struggle yeah. is like finding. I I really don't think that the big farm is really just trying to like make money. Like they're. maybe in other diseases, but this is a huge headache for them and for everybody and governments and like, nobody wants this, but we're stuck with it. And so we're trying to deal with it. So,
0: (laughs) so I think
2: it's just like eight months is maybe what has been found to be the point when antibody titers typically start dropping in people.
0: So when we get into, for example, um, uh, like the 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 rebuttal from some anti-vaxxers well I, I may have already gotten the virus or I got the virus uh, therefore I don't need to get the vaccine because I'm more um, I'm more protected
3: antibodies are yeah they're high so the can you speak than-
0: can you speak to that
2: Yeah, so first of all, if you've had an asymptomatic infection, so if you tested positive and then recovered and didn't have any problems, your antibody titers are going to be very low. And we know that because there's been lots of publications that characterize these. So if someone's like, well, I already tested positive last month and now I'm better, but I didn't have symptoms, you can just assume that they could easily get sick again. And these people do. Uh, They get infected again. So then there's natural infection where they did get sick. And it seems like, uh, at least from the data that I've seen in, in the literature, is that the response, basically the, um, the antibody titer that they have towards specifically the receptor binding domain is correlated with the severity of infection. So people that were hospitalized on a ventilator that then recovered actually have the best Uh, overall, have the best correlation between the highest antibody titers that are neutralizing. So you're going to be
0: close to death is what you're saying. uh,
2: Yeah, if you really want a good immune response. And uh, (laughs) there's also been papers that characterize that natural immunity wanes faster than a vaccine-induced immunity. Because if you think of it, a natural immunity, you're going to probably get, like, you're only exposed to whatever you breathe in. But in a vaccine, you're getting a very large amount um, of not the virus, but just the receptor binding domain. And actually it's the DNA for or the RNA for the receptor binding domain. So they're giving you a bunch of just one shape of the outside of the virus that's not infectious and that isn't the virus itself, but they're giving it to your body in such a way that your body's like, oh my God, what is this? Like that's what a vaccine is for, is for your body yeah. to be like, what the hell attack. just happened here? Let's attack it. So those immune responses are typically much stronger from a vaccine than from a natural infection. And so people that say, well, I got COVID a couple of months ago, I don't need to get the vaccine. They probably have lower antibody titers than people who got the vaccine. There's always going to be fluke cases where somebody from some random publication has really high antibody titers from a natural infection. That will happen. But the data that I've seen supports the fact that Vaccine-induced immunity tends to be stronger and more long-lasting than immunity from a natural infection, and natural infections have a whole wide rate have a wider range of antibody <clears throat> titers, based on basically none from an asymptomatic reaction to potentially high high titers from people that had very severe um, severe disease. So... I wonder.
4: If, I wonder if people would. Uh, the anti-vaxxers in particular would approach it differently if we said if you get it we're not going to treat
2: you
0: and and i think that's the key with socialized medicine in canada i think a lot of the like uh you know as a as a libertarian typically like more so right i would have less of a problem in the you know for the u.s and You know, all the praise that the U.S. gives us on our on our universal healthcare system. And and it has its flaws. I'm not I'm not saying it doesn't. Um, It should be a hybrid. It should be a hybrid. But um, the the one thing I can give the U.S. credit for, like if I'm a libertarian, which I am for the most part with a lot of my stuff. I wouldn't care if you didn't get the vaccine or not. I'm just really worried about me. Right? Like, I mean, like, I'm going to get I'm going to inoculate myself, I'm going to take care of my loved ones, make sure that I'm going to do all the right things around immunocompromised people that I love. And after that, the reality is I'm in the insurance business. So and financial planning business, I I know what it's like when premiums go up. I see it. And people's faces are gobsmacked. So in the US, it's like, go ahead, get get COVID, go on a ventilator. Guess what your premiums when they were new? the next time are going to be astronomical you've just done that to yourself whereas in canada um we have no like in canada the the trillium health partners which is one of the biggest uh, health units in in ontario did an analysis for canadian costs and these are canadian dollars um basically a uh kidney transplant um liver transplant is around $70,000 is what it th- that's your highest um, uh, for an organ tra- for a major organ transplant. COVID, if you're on a ventilator is 50 grand, it's the second highest financial impact to the healthcare system. And this is the biggest issue with socialized medicine that we're now seeing when it, like very much to what you said in the last episode was you're really concerned with humanity in general and their response or lack of response to a pandemic. There's also that, but there's also the, the socialized menace at be, uh, piece, which should be a human right, but it's, getting, it's becoming unaffordable because of how many people end up in the ICU. And that's 50 grand a pop. Um, it was just more of something to put that into context really. Um, and a lot of
4: times the people that are costing us 50 grand a pop don't make 50 grand in a few years.
0: No.
2: Yeah. It, it's really hard because I mean, like the whole point of medicine is to help people who can't help themselves. And at a certain point, you I feel like you do have to give up. You're like, well, I told you so's and you're, well, you did this wrong. Like if someone's suffering, they need to be treated. And since systems in different parts of the world are set up differently to approach that in different ways. But like at the end of the day, if someone needs a ventilator, I think we should give it to them. But then there's a price tag attached. And there's also people who, like, I think it would be unfair to like refuse treatment to someone who didn't get the vaccine because there's a lot of people actually who can't get the vaccine.
4: Yeah, legitimately,
0: right? Well, that's different yeah. though. That's the, I so, mean, what is it? Uh, the immunocompromise is around three to 5% I, I read in the New York Times.
4: Here yeah. in Canada, things are different, though, Sarah, right? Like, I mean, the way you work taxed, I mean, it's it's akin to somebody on our welfare system. Yeah. If you're down and out, I'll take money out of my pocket and I'll give it to you. Don't abuse the shit out of our welfare system, which tons and tons and tons and tons of people do, right? Yeah. And yeah. this is just another form of abuse, somewhat, well, if well, you're not problem otherwise problem. in a situation, right, where you're immunocompromised or... You're anaphylactic or just, there's legitimate reasons why obviously you don't want to subject your body to that it's just yeah. it's just the dummies that
1: are, yeah, are yeah. they're here they're protesting in front of a hospital, preventing nurses and doctors to get to that without masks on, and they're not vaccinated, yeah, so like, I have
2: an interesting thought experiment that I have considered, maybe I'll just pose this question here, so. Yeah coronavirus, it spreads because there's a lot of like asymptomatic transmission. And also because the symptoms are like cold and flu. So you might not know you have it. And also for many people getting the cold or the flu, like, isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. They feel like crap for a couple of days. They might miss a day of work or maybe not, whatever. They just go about their lives. So that's like the majority of COVID cases. And as a result, people think that Uh, you know, vaccines are a huge encroachment on their freedom, and they're actually unnecessary. It's a disease that doesn't really matter. It only kills off like old and sick people, fat people, whatever, all these stupid reasons um, that people say that I've heard. And um, it's like, oh, well, I'm healthy. I'm young. Like, I don't need it. If I get it, it's not a big deal. Um, But what if it spread as easily as it does, but the side effects were not purely respiratory. Like what if it made people have like erectile dysfunction or it made them uh, projectile yeah. vomit without uh, like out of nowhere, like just start randomly projectile vomiting or something like totally obscure and like awful, like socially unacceptable, like can't um, can't have sex anymore. Something like that, like, like uh, makes you um, impotent or whatever like something so, we have so all the men horrible vaccinated and none of the women yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly like it it's just because people think that the side effects aren't important enough that therefore they think that the vaccine is way too horrible to get but like think of polio like it people everybody got the vaccine because no one wants to be crippled for the rest right. of their life like exactly. that is a terrible disease and as yeah. such because we have herd immunity for polio Polio is not even a factor in our lives anymore because everyone decided that being crippled sucks and that if we can avoid it with a simple and effective and safe vaccine, then polio is just not a disease that we have in the 21st century. But if coronavirus caused erectile dysfunction, I guarantee you there would be no politicization of that vaccine. It would be like, all right, how fast can we get it rolled out? Let's get everybody their second doses. Coronavirus is gone forever we don't have any variants, we don't have any bullshit, it's done.
1: And that's why Pfizer does it, right? Cause they also do Viagra.
2: So gotta long enough to get that Viagra. <laughs> yeah. So many
3: people are making a mistake over mRNA vaccines, right, <laughs> saying that the problem, you know, a lot of people take the position, well, I'm not anti-vax, mRNA vaccines are just new that's why I don't want to take those and, and curry you and I have had they're like, not, they're not conversations no oh my god don't get me get started oh and and I agree yeah. like I've done my research I know they're not new like you know there's there's studies going back I've seen as late as like or as old as 1972 they've been working on it um, you know and one of the, the the points that curry and I have talked about before is there is clinical studies being done on this being a cure for cancer, right? Like using this as a cancer vaccine, MRNA, mRNA. yeah. MRNA vaccine. They're they're using the technology yeah. behind it. It's just
4: the way they go about it, right?
1: Manipulating the the proteins. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. Using, using MRNA vaccines, right? Uh So imagine now all of a sudden we, we have a cure for cancer or vaccine for cancer, I should say. People are going to be lined up. Well, how is it any different, right? Basically, my point is so many people have been impacted by cancer that they'll line up in a second. But so few people in the world have been impacted by COVID, a lot less in comparison that people are
1: just brushing it off, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we the just- impotent thing that Sarah's talking about. Maybe we solved the problem of anti-vaxxers right away.
3: Yeah, but the, the, there are yeah. means out there right now with saying like, "Hey, guys, you trust yourself with this blue pill? How is this any different?" Right, right? and
2: and we already we already get a vaccine for cancer. It's the HPV vaccine. Yep. So every almost all. So I think in the US, mm-hmm. like girls, when they're like 11, now they yes. get it. Yeah. Every I girl, it was 13, but uh, something like that. Yeah. And, so and now, now men get could be it different, too. Bondo. Could be because because cervical cancer is a terribly deadly disease because you usually don't know you have it until it's too late and it spreads very quickly and the mortality rate is very high. Mm-hmm. So the stakes are high. So yes, it definitely makes sense to get a vaccine. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's like people are just using the argument that like it's too new or but it all just comes down to that they don't appreciate the risk of coronavirus because if the risks were higher like in cancer or uh, spontaneous projectile vomiting or something. Yeah. They would get Spoiler. the vaccine. Well,
0: well it's Instantly. funny because my my buddy brought this up to me and he kind of spun it on his head with, and I gave this to Trevor yesterday because we were going on a, we call each other every now and then just to go on a rant, just to kind of vent because of the stupid people. A just just a stupid the stupid people in this world. But anyway, um, Fanfic's dumb. Yeah. Um, that's why I love the Bill Engel, the, the blue, um, Blue-collar comedy. comedy. I love Bill. He's like, and here's your sign. We should. Yeah. We should pass around signs and just say you're stupid and just here's your sign. <laughs> um, but the the piece uh, surrounding um, – what was the um, – what was it – what were we going on a rant yesterday about Trevor? Um, oh, God. It got me off, off topic there for a second. What was I ranting about? Something about the – oh, yeah, risk. Adjusting risk. So my, my buddy – said is humans in nature. Um, you know, if you want to look at the population as a whole pie, and when I look at what I do for a living, financial planning, right. And, and insurance and what have you, it's, you know, a hundred percent probability you're going to die. That's going to happen. 100% probability you're going to owe taxes if you work. Right. And then there's a high, high probability that you're going to retire. When that age is, it all depends. But you have no idea how many times I talk to people on the daily. Like we sell critical illness insurance, for example. The data is, in, is, is irrefutable. A couple, same sex or, or heterosexual does not matter. By the time that they're 60, one of the couples will experience one of the 26 critical illnesses, and it's a 55% probability. The the amount of people that kick it down the road, the amount of people that don't even bother, the amount of people that just like, nah, whatever. And then you get the phone calls. And then and I have I have actually an example. It's actually a bit eerie. Um I was selling this to Trevor yesterday. Um we're we're buying out uh a business, uh, an existing advisor, and it was their existing client. He's retired, he's not retiring permanently, but he's just taking a step back, especially now because of COVID. And he goes, Can you reach out? Sure. Followed up on the, on the history. And back in around 2016, 2017, um, she wanted to cancel this critical illness policy because it was a 10-year term and it just renewed. But there was a money back after 15 years. So Bill, the guy that I took it over to his credit, convinced her, hey, you know what? Stay on for another 60 months. After that, you can cancel it and you get all of your money back. Right? So she calls us. We're thinking she's canceling. Nope, making a claim. She's got breast cancer, stage two. And her exact words to me were, oh, my God, I was going to cancel this policy. And that's how stupid people are. They don't listen to stats. They don't read probability. They kick the can down the road. But on top of that, you also have governments that do the exact same thing, too. Our own city, state federal governments also are not fiscally prudent and also don't plan properly. For example, in 2009, there was a flu pandemic. Nobody listened to you guys and nobody planned anything. And the next thing you know, now we've got this going on, right? Um, which is tame
4: relative to what we can get.
0: Which is crazy yeah. if this is tame.
2: Yeah. I mean, what, what's the death rate of COVID? Like it's like 0.2% or something or no. it's, it's like Very negligible. Low. Like, yes, a lot of people have died. Like, I think in the US, 670,000 people have died already, which is more than the 1918 pandemic that's in the correct. US. Uh, that's a lot of deaths. That being said, it, the mortality rate is low. But what if the mortality rate was 10% or 5%? In the next pandemic, it might be. Correct. In SARS, the, the death rate it was around 50%. Yeah. According Just sort of to Google, why, you guys right?
3: have had 680,000 deaths and 42.5 million cases
0: in the U.S. So 680,000 deaths? Yeah, like it's, it's, it's yeah. astronomically. I've got another
1: question kind of I'm dying to ask you here, Sarah. Um, the big thing coming up in Ontario, I know it's muffled, I apologize. The big thing coming up in Ontario next would be the 5 to 11-year-old um, phase of getting inoculated or getting, getting their, their Pfizer shots. Do you yeah. see any issue with that? Because right now my family, me and my wife, are both double shot. My 12-year-old just got a second shot, but my 9-year-old can't get it yet. So our worry is if, that we bring it home asymptomatic and we give it to our 9-year-old who's in <laughs> class with teachers who don't have to say if they got a shot or not, which drives me nuts, all running around with kids that that have no shots. But Pfizer's pushing that it's safe right now. they got to do a couple more tests. What do you think about this? Does it just have to be done like everybody else from 5 to 11 and uh,
2: under? Yeah, I mean, if so, there's a lot of transmission in kids right now because kids make up a large proportion of the unvaccinated folks. Plus, so,
4: they're uh, those little things.
2: Yeah, and and kids just like, you know, basic hygiene just kind of doesn't work on kids sometimes. <laughs> like, they're going to touch everything <laughs> and they're not going to wash their hands. Uh, and yeah Yeah, yeah. so (laughs) that's kind of a wash like we can try to get them to wear masks and like not touch things but kids are going to be kids um but i i think it's it is important that these companies are spending the time to do these trials also with uh different doses because uh like in general medicine for most drugs, you dose it on a mig per kg basis. So the milligrams yeah. of the drug is based on the kilograms of the animal or human receiving it. Individual. So it makes sense that a 50, or like a 50 pound kid is going to receive less dose than a 150 pound human. Um, so I, I think it is important that they're spending the time to do these trials and they're not rushing into it because there is a little bit of tweaking, like which dose works best? Is it exactly half? Um, is there a different formulation? Are there more or less side effects? Do the antibody titers get as high as the adults? There's a lot that we need to know, but I do think it will be important for kids to get vaccinated if we really want to squash this. And kids get, it's not like it's unheard of for a kid to get vaccinated. They already get vaccinated for flu. They get vaccinated for yeah. all the, like all those immunizations MMR. that they need. Yeah. MMR, all that stuff. Tetanus. So yep. it's, it. And the like, the beauty of mRNA vaccines is that they are like a polished sword, like to eliminate the enemy. Um, it's it's this really like high tech, advanced way to make a vaccine response without all the extra stuff. Like these va- vaccines are so much more advanced than like the you know smallpox or polio because it's really just targeting in. On that receptor binding domain of the virus. Like, you couldn't possibly get more precise than that. And that's like what we need. So, these vaccines, they should be very safe. I mean, they have, how many people have gotten the vaccine now? Is it 3 billion? Or gotten a vaccine?
0: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah.
2: I guess the mRNA vaccines are only one of the potential vaccines that one could get for COVID, but or only two of them. But I mean, the vaccines have been tried on a lot of people around the world uh, for almost a year now. I think like I remember my mom got vaccinated in December last year because she works in healthcare. Um, so we're coming up on like almost a year of the general population getting this vaccine. And uh, they're extremely effective. And if we could figure out like a way to give them to kids that is also safe and effective, I think we'll see a dramatic decrease in the numbers of new cases and hopefully also like the emergence of new variants.
1: Dude, so I thought, so yeah, we're going to get them right away, but we want to wait a couple months just to see how if there's any issues with other kids. I think a lot of parents are kind of hesitant to have their nine-year-old or six-year-old or seven-year-old be the first one lining up. The second, it's it's okay, and that's kind of what we did with our twelve-year-old. We waited a couple months and. He's now had two shots. He had barely any side effects. He had a little sore arm for a couple of days. That's about it. Uh, but other kids in his class had you know, three days of side effects, which I'm not worried about side effects, but it's a nine-year-old that we're more concerned about right now. We want to get them done, but we don't want to be the first ones lined up.
2: Yeah. Well, the good news is that you won't be the first ones because they're doing trials. And these trials yeah. have a lot of people. Um, so <clears throat> if you were the first one, once it's fully approved, you know that I don't know. Tens of thousands of kids have gotten it first. I don't know how many people are in each trial, but you definitely wouldn't be the first.
3: So, yeah, Sarah, seven out, of the we're getting it. out of curiosity, uh, FDA and Health Canada have now approved uh, the vaccines um, for regular use. They're no longer emergency approved. Emergency use approved. Um,
1: for Twelve and above. What's that? Twelve and above, I believe. Right. Yes. Twelve, yes. Or 12, 12. and above. Yeah, so yeah.
3: when. When a vaccine rolls out, um, so like they're testing for 5 to 11-year-olds, w- does that typically enter emergency use or does that, if it's already approved by Health Canada, FDA, does it automatically um, enter, after its trials, of course, does it automatically enter regular use or does it stay in emergency use for that different demographic?
2: I'm not actually sure on that. Okay. I emergency use for vaccines is not something we've really ever had before coronavirus. <laughs> so normally a vaccine would go through the normal trials and then just get approved, and it takes a long time. But it would just there wouldn't typically be an emergency use approval unless we are like in a pandemic. So I think, okay. yeah, the it, it seems like these th- these policies are kind of new for everyone, and they're just trying to figure out like what's a way that we can get it. Out to people as quickly as possible before we've completed uh, what would have been like a decade of testing. So, like, how? What are the minimum benchmarks to know it's safe and effective, so that we can start protecting people early? So, I don't know how they'll do it for kids. I imagine they okay. would do emergency use approval first, but I don't know.
3: Okay. Interesting.
0: <clears throat> cool. Um, and I guess the, um, I guess just to wrap it up. Um, what are you, I think like, what can't, can this, can this Delta variant or I guess, can it mutate to a point where it can start to seriously affect the, the unvaccinated, um, um, you know, this mu is the one thing they're using all the Greek letters of the alphabet now, um, naming them after, um, fraternities. Um, but what are, what are they, um, like, is it possible that then, it, like, not so much, but, like, it's, so oh, by the way, to answer your question, Sarah, it was 1.6% death rate. So, okay, uh, okay. 680,000 deaths out of 42 million infections, it's a 1.6% death rate, according to the CDC, in America. Okay,
2: that's higher than c- I had thought. Yeah. That's, that, actually, that's, that's quite yeah. significant.
0: Yeah, at one6 I
4: thought it was CDC. a couple of percent. I thought it had always floated around a couple of percent.
0: Now, the... But the problem is it's not affecting young people. And here's another thing, too. It's 100% certain you're going to get old and, you're, all, you're like I said, you're going to die. But it's what you die of later on in life is what you can control. Um, is it possible that this thing can mutate to a point where it can start to affect the young, like the 18 to 30-year-olds to or even, God forbid, the kids? Like, what are you, what are you thinking about that?
2: I mean, yeah, anything is possible because it, it, like I said before, the virus doesn't have a brain. It's not like going after certain mutations or certain types of people. It's just going to randomly accumulate mutations um, because it has error prone genetic replication and certain combinations of mutations make it more fit to replicate in certain circumstances. And it is plausible to think that a set of random mutations could occur that make it more likely to infect young people than old people. Uh, we know that happened with the 1918 Spanish flu. It actually infected more people, I guess, in their like 20s and 30s than babies or old people. Typically, flus are most deadly towards elderly and infants, um,
0: mm-hmm. but that
2: flu actually appeared to have kind of an opposite phenotype where it was able to infect. Um, like you. young, healthy tissue better for, mm. I'm not sure if we know why. Um, but yeah, it's definitely plausible to think that variants of coronavirus could emerge that more dramatically impact young kids. Cause we already know that's possible with flu. Most mutations in influenza make kids more susceptible than adults, um, which is why influenza is such a sad disease because most of the deaths are in, pe- in kids under five. And elderly people so yeah it definitely could happen it wouldn't be the delta variant there'd be a different name for it because it is constantly mutating um, but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we're going to get through all the college frat houses by the end of this
1: <laughs> blam, blam
0: from uh revenge of the nerds <laughs> yeah. well uh well, thanks very much, Sarah, um, for hopping on and, and doing this recording with us. Um, it has been three months and a lot of it has been like, you know, we, lots of schedules, lots of going on and you're doing a lot of great work, which is very humbling that you're, you're allowing to come on our, our podcast. Uh, We'd love to I have you on it. again um, if you don't, if you want to tolerate us some more and we'll let you swear more too. Well, we promise.
2: <laughs> Let's do it. I would no. love to. And, no, uh, no
1: more erectile dysfunction talk, though. We don't need to hear that stuff. Yeah. Scares yeah. us. Scares us. Don't jinx yeah. the world. Out of that. We don't need that. Um,
0: and, and by all means, when you're if you're doing a, a presentation in Toronto on something, whatever the silo virus, I don't know what you do, the, the words that you said, but, you know, the, the, the virus stuff. Look yeah. us up. We'll have you come down in person. It'll be pretty kind of cool because Canada's letting Americans in, but Americans aren't letting Canadians in. It oh. Is what it is. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I haven't been allowed to travel for work yet, um, but I'm really excited for that to happen. Hopefully soon, like maybe when Delta's over or something. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you again. We really, really appreciate it. We know Great, we have a busy schedule. Um, Thanks so much.
2: Here. Great out. chatting with you guys.
0: Help us help you stay
4: informed.